Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Unauthorized Disclosure Podcast. I'm Kevin Gastola. I'm joined by my co-host, Rania Kalik. Hey, Rania. Hey, Kevin. And uh, Rania's waking Sorry up in Lebanon. <laughs> Sorry for the rooster. <laughs> I'm in the mountains. I'm in the mountains, people. And uh, I'm in Chicago and uh, near a giant body of water called Lake Michigan. So as we're naming no, like we're naming no like roosters. nature. There's no there's no roosters. It's and with the time difference, it's like midnight. So um, yeah, and it's early in the morning for me. So there's a rooster and other animals that are making noises. Well, we'll uh, we'll enjoy the soundtrack that uh, the rooster may or not may be providing throughout the show. And uh, I guess the first thing we want to do is just thank people uh, in general for continuing to be patrons of the show and to let you know about some things that we're doing and read a couple comments as we've been doing at the top of our shows. So uh, we've uh, got plans to... uh, put together an exclusive episode just for patrons if we reach the mark uh, on our page where we're getting $1,000 um, in in patron pledges. And, you know, if that happens, we're going to put together a, a special episode, and we want you to help decide what that's going to be. Uh, and we actually have been given uh, some ideas. I'll read one of them, because uh, Matt... Uh, submitted a comment to us and said, as a Patreon exclusive, maybe you guys could do an episode with a lighter tone where you talk about something in the arts, whether it be movies, music, TV shows, books, etc., and how it relates to an important political issue. Ooh, I like that idea. Uh, I also know that someone... I don't have the comment here, and I won't be able to give credit to the person, so I apologize, but... Uh, the there was another suggestion that between you and me we could just talk about how we came to do the work that we're doing because uh, people who listen to our show probably don't know our backstories. We just aren't very self-indulgent. We don't just sit here and talk about ourselves every single week. We are not Pod Save America like those <laughs> those douche clowns that <laughs> sit around and used to work for President Barack Obama and now have this show that has become like this craze in the United States. I don't know if you know of this, Rania. I've never even heard of this show, which is like just t- demonstrates to you how much I hate mainstream anything. No, no, you should um, stay completely disconnected because this is like Tommy Vitor and uh, like, I think the other guys like John Favreau, and these are all people who used to be like consultants or strategists for the Obama, uh, not not uh, it, for his campaign for his election campaign. It's just horrible. Wow, that makes me want to jump off a cliff. Okay, <laughs> and, and it's apparently taken the country by storm. There are just millions of people. Listening Why? to it and rec- Why? I, I, I know I want to mock it with every fiber of my being. So like, why? <laughs> That's so bizarre. What the hell? All right. Anyways, so, okay. So now anyways, I'm just that just like ruined my day. But back to like okay. hyping and talking about our show because we're doing uh, some fun things. I mean, if we are able to reach the mark where we're bringing about fifteen hundred um, in from patrons um, regularly, then we're going to send out. Uh, these wonderful tote bags that uh, we've had created that'll have the unauthorized disclosure logo very big on the on the side of it, and you'll be able to uh, use these. And if you're donating as a as a five dollar or more patron, we're going to send these bags to you. Uh, and Rania's seen them, and she liked them. And right? yeah, I'm totally gonna get one. They're actually really cool looking. Like I, I'm excited. Our logo looks really cool when you blow it up. Yeah. So we made it larger, and I most usually we only see it as this like small little like avatar thing, and now it's massive and, and huge on the side of this bag. So, uh, and then that's what we'd like to do, and we're and, and it'll also just be a perk for everyone to thank and, many of you. Yeah, and tote well tote bags are also really cool because you can put your books in them. Or your computer in them, or they're really good for the beach because I need more bags. <laughs> so, so just one more, I'm just <laughs> one, one more comment here before we move on to the subjects that we want to discuss for this episode. Uh, Cameron said uh, you, before we posted the interview with Abby and Mike that he was stoked and a big fan of both of 
uh, Abby and my uh, at, at, well fan of Abby's work, her shows, and then um, also a patron of both of our shows. Uh, and he was uh, very excited and said, "Keep it up, guys." Well, thank you. That's awesome. Thank you for listening and being a patron. All right. So uh, we wanted to talk about Cotter. Yeah, Qatar. Qatar. Um, well, I mean, people say it like a thousand different ways. It's silly. I'll, but, I'll say it one way and you say it another. It will just irritate people for the next Yeah, it'll be great. They'll be like, which minutes. one do we go with? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, like, oh, okay. So obviously there's this, been this big dispute with like the GCC states because they're trying to isolate Qatar. And uh, you've got like Saudi Arabia leading the effort. The U.S. is like backing Saudi Arabia suddenly, even though they have like a big Navy base. Um, or big like army base in Qatar and uh, and either way what you've got is like the Qataris have been sort of like isolated um, in a especially in a very symbolic way but also they're like you know the Saudis have them kind of surrounded Um, and so they've been going on these like media tours trying to counter all the Saudi propaganda I'll be honest with you it's kind of funny to watch (laughs) I hate all the Gulf states, and at the end of the day, I'd love for these governments to just, like, eat each other. Um, but as we are amused, that's, I mean, people here are just, like, amused watching them eat each other. Uh, Qatar, like I said, has been going on this sort of media tour trying to counter the Saudi stuff. And one thing that Saudi Arabia is saying, as well as the UAE, as well as now the United States with Donald Trump backing them, is that Qatar has been funding all these terrorist groups in Syria, and funds, like, all these, you know, the Muslim Brotherhood, and Qatar is, like, behind all this terrorism, and they're trying to pin the whole, like, jihadist problem that we're seeing uh, sort of explode in more ways than one around the world on Qatar. Now, to be clear, Qatar is very, very much a hugely responsible party, um, given its role in funding groups in Syria and Libya uh, that you now, you know, have blowing back with the U.S., where, like, with the Manchester attack and having been, like, a part of, you know, these, like, Libyan groups that overthrew Gaddafi on behalf of the West. Um, And, you know, you're going to have more of that happening from the people who went into Syria. Uh, And these are obviously policies that the U.S. spearheaded, but Qatar played a huge role, and that's no question. But what's interesting is now, like, like, because Qatar, you know, is basically, like, very close to the Muslim Brotherhood, and the Muslim Brotherhood has no principles, and they're very inconsistent. Um... They're now, like, sort of changing their rhetoric, especially with what's going on. So since the U.S. and Saudi are trying to throw Qatar under the bus and blame all the terrorism on Qatar, they're hitting back with things like this. I thought this was interesting. So the prime minister of Qatar was on Charlie Rose. And in this interview, he says, um, and I'm just going to read what he said. He said, in Syria, everybody did mistakes, including your country. When the war revolution happened in Syria, all of us worked through two operations rooms, one in Jordan and one in Turkey. The first one was in Jordan. And there were countries, some of the GCC countries among them, the Saudis, UAE, Qatar, U.S. and other allies that were working from there. All of us were supporting the same groups. In Turkey, we did the same. We discovered with time that some groups have other agendas and we always eliminate them one by one. You supported wrong groups sometimes, but you stopped. It doesn't mean we didn't do something wrong there, but intentionally we do that? That's not true. What is the reason if they finish with Syria, they will come to us, as in the jihadists? We know that. That is normal. We are not out of the threat. Like he's saying, so we're still under threat. Now, what's fascinating about this is like, okay, so you're saying, oops, oops, we accidentally broke Syria. Like, oops, we accidentally funded jihadists. <laughs> when has that ever turned out bad? I mean, I do appreciate that he's like throwing in the U.S. and Saudi. That said, like, fuck all these countries so much. They knew exactly what they were doing. They knew exactly who they were funding, including the U.S., its own intelligence like assessments that were that have been declassified because of Freedom of Information Act say that they knew they, they knew what they were doing like as early as 2012. Even before that, they were doing shit like funding the Muslim Brotherhood. And they've always been trying to use the Muslim Brotherhood in Syria as a way to overthrow the government. But I mean, they knew exactly who they were helping. They knew they were helping Al Qaeda. They even predicted in this assessment that we've talked about that's been declassified back in 2012. They even predicted the rise of Al Qaeda in Iraq, which of course, you know, changed into ISIS, and exactly which cities it would it would like regurgitate. I'm sorry, it would like reform in. Um, and so this is such bullshit. I just want to note that it's complete bullshit, and that like anybody who tries to pretend that they didn't know what was going on is full of crap. Um, and that's what we've been talking about that a lot on the show. And 
you know, I don't know if there's if there's anything else you want to add to that, but I'd like to segue into something if not. But is there anything you want to add to that, Kevin, before I, I do? I, I think that the amusing part of this whole shit show just is that it got even better in the last uh, 24 hours or on uh, – it would be June 15th. Donald Trump inked a deal uh, with Cotter for – uh, over $21 billion of U.S. weapons. Yeah, yeah. This is after calling them the, the big sponsor of terrorism, and he just, like, gives them $20 billion of weapons. I, I don't know if that... Was that negotiated under Obama? Or this is new? Well, I thought I saw uh, people saying it might have been negotiated under Obama, but... Um, I mean, I he could have rescinded it. If they really believe that they're funders of terrorism, and now they're like, we're handing them a bunch of weapons. So, I don't To me... I don't know what goes off in your head, but I just think that, like, we're going to see some new rounds of proxy wars or something because it's, you know, this. Uh, yeah, he gave them, like, these fighter jets. Like, who, like what's that Qatar going to do with fighter jets? They're going to give them to, like, Al-Qaeda or something? Like, I mean, like, what? where is Qatar fight? I mean, I mean, it's just, it's, like, ridiculous. All of this is either going to go to, like, continuing destroying Yemen or it's, like, going to be used to re-up the proxy war in Syria, although I don't know how much more they can do in Syria uh, because they basically lost. Uh, mm-hmm. The point is, is that w- one thing that this will do is like, it, it does seem like Qatar and Saudi, it's like almost like a race to vie for like who gets to be the pro- the premier Wahhabi state. Um, and Saudi Arabia has always seen Qatar as like an extension of Saudi Arabia. They don't like Qatar having any independence. And I don't say that because I like Qatar. I'm just saying that because that's like how Saudi Arabia is. They want Qatar to be like another Bahrain. Um, and so, uh, they're just like, they, so that's like, that's kind of what this is about, but it's also, it's also interesting because then it becomes a situation where, so are the countries going to offer Trump to buy more weapons to get, to get sway? And then it's like, what is Saudi Arabia going to like try and one up Qatar by buying even more weapons? Cause he just also did a big deal with Saudi Arabia. Um, and it's like, like me more Trump, like me more, I'll buy more weapons from you. <laughs> you right. Know? Um, it's just really disturbing because it's like, who are these weapons going to be used on? And you're just, you know, you're just giving it to the most crazy fanatical regimes in the region. I mean, these regimes at the end of the day, they are like, they're like, they're like, they're like Wahhabis. Like they're fucking crazy. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, I can't, it can't end well. Uh, and go ahead. We'll go ahead and segue to where you wanted to go. Well, so what I wanted to segue to is, um, you know, Jeremy Corbyn. Uh, I promise you there's, there's a link I'm making. <laughs> Jeremy Corbyn did really well um, for Labour, winning a bunch of seats um, in the UK. And it was very, very exciting. It shows the momentum behind him. One thing that got really left out of that narrative is that one of the most um, one of the reasons that Jeremy Corbyn is so popular, it's not just the economics. As a, that, that is very important. His economic message is very important. The fact that he's a socialist is very important. But it's also the fact that he's explicitly anti-imperialist and he has he has gone out of his way. And for years he's done this. It's very consistent with his analyses. For years he's said this as he's made connections between what we're doing abroad and what's happening domestically in terms of like attacks. And after the Manchester attack, because the Manchester attacker ended up being this this like British Libyan guy who was the son of this guy who like helped found the. Libyan Islamist group that's connected to Al Qaeda that helped overthrow Gaddafi and like their movement was facilitated by British intelligence. And Jeremy Corbyn used that to make a huge link between the fact that we're funding extremists abroad to overthrow other governments. And we're also funding um, and arming governments like Saudi Arabia, which have, are spreading this extremism and have been doing it for decades. No one else says that. And that's huge in an era when Islamophobia is such a big deal. And that's how the right is winning stuff is using Islamophobia. Um, that's like one of the main reasons they're able to like win people over, honestly, is because they're like, we're going to get rid of immigrants because they're all Muslims and they're attacking us. And Jeremy Corbyn has a response to that that actually works, that's smart, and that gets down to the truth of what's happening and that isn't based on hatred. It's actually based in, hey, there's a way we can prevent and stop this for real. And it's like our policies can can make this like can stop these problems like there's a reason this is happening and people have a right to understand what's happening and why and that their governments have facilitated the extremism that's now blowing back um the point is is that uh you know there was the people summit which i know you want to talk about and you went to and 
I really think one of the one of the biggest downsides. Um, it's actually one of the biggest, the weakest points of this the movement in the U.S. That's like sort of, I guess, you, what you would compare to the Corbyn movement. Whether you want to call it the Sanders movement or whether it's sort of the rise of like this new era of progressivism and popularity with socialist ideas, it's all very, very exciting. But one of the biggest downsides and weaknesses of this movement, and that includes with like the DSA and everything, like all of that stuff that's on the rise, as great as it is, is they refuse to talk about this stuff. They refuse to talk about imperialism. It's like the most unimportant thing, imperialist issues. And and they want to make everything about economics. And imperialism, first of all, is about economics. It's not detached from that whatsoever. But beyond that, they, they're, they're ignoring such a big, important issue at a moment when that is how the right is winning. I mean, Donald Trump became president uh, for promising to ban Muslims. Like, that's like, you know, I thought there's a huge reason he had such a popularity because there is this massive Islamophobia industry, hatred of Muslims and, you know, fear mongering using groups like ISIS and Al Qaeda that the U.S. policies empowered um, in the first place. The point is, is like it's like this is one reason Jeremy Corbyn has been successful. And it's a reason I think that Bernie Sanders has not been able to be as successful as someone like Corbyn, and I know the U.S. is different. There's a different context, but again, even the movement in the U.S., like the DS, like the I know Jacobin did some poll, I think, or the DSA did some poll recently, um, and imperialism was the most un, it was the second most unimportant issue to people. Like it fell below every other issue, and there was like at least like over a dozen other issues that were polled. That's really bad. Like yeah. this needs to be an issue, and until it is. Um, until we stop pretending and rocking on eggshells over these issues that are life and death for so many people around the world um, and that are really like, you know, that are really like uh, in- impacting our own countries. Like people need to remember one of the reasons we have the rise of the far right in the West is because of what we've done abroad. It's because of the rise of these extremist groups. That's a huge I mean, that's a major reason you have like this like shock and fear that you're able to use as like as the right to scare people into put in, into like and in pushing them into right wing hateful and bigoted policies. And people need to recognize that. And until they do, I feel like we're not going to make like as much as many gains as, as are actually possible in the U.S. So that's completely fair to me. And I was as someone who attended the People's Summit, there, there wasn't on a big stage uh, there may have been a smaller panel session that I uh, that I don't recall, but <laughs> no, I mean I'm not saying that people didn't have a conversation about this issue. But on a on, on a main stage where it was live streamed around uh, the country and the world, this was not something that was discussed. Militarism, interventionism, the exploding military budget did not get its own treatment as uh, a subject matter when, in fact, uh, you had um, you know, plenty of opportunities to talk about uh, the, the domestic and economic issues that are a, a key part of the organizing of these movements that are under the umbrella or, or inspired by uh, Bernie Sanders. Uh, I guess I'll give credit, though, because... Uh, Katrina Vandenhuvel was actually the only one that I remember from the summit who on uh, was the uh, Saturday morning uh, said that the People's Summit should uh, be thinking about where these movements stand on militarism, where they stand on reflexive interventionism, and where people stand on the military budget. Because she was making the point that you're making, that it's really not something that enters into a lot of conversations about organizing. I mean, they're like, where's the organizing and grappling and trying to figure out what to do with Syria? Uh, the only person within the whole circle of influential people who talks about this is Tulsi Gabbard. And the way that they resolved issues around her was actually super sketchy. I still don't know what happened, and I think that it would be fair to ask questions of organizers as to what really did happen, because... Well, I'm sorry, what are you talking about? Was she not there at the summit? She didn't attend, and all I know is that there was a report that she had a scheduling conflict, but there was this 
uprising on uh, at least um, online with people uh, using Twitter to uh, get her disinvited from the People's Summit as if she was already slated to speak and and she may have even been on the program for a short bit before whatever happened that she decided to go do. I personally feel that she decided to go have something else to do so that there wouldn't be this big issue that the movement would have to deal with. You'll recall Jacobin, which is like the Bible of the DSA, um, which is like the heart of, at this point, I guess, whatever's left of the Sanders movement, uh, Jacobin published like a hit piece on her, Mm -hmm. basically saying Tulsi Gabbard is not your ally. Like you're just supposed to completely condemn her and not do anything even remotely strategically like valuable alongside her that's against militarism and interventionism because there's views that she's had in the past that that they don't like um and i remind you that's really unfair and i before i just want to say like yes tulsi gabbard has some things i don't agree with in the past and there's still some things i don't agree with her on that said i don't see this test of purity being applied to anybody else like if you want to go into purity issues bernie sanders sucks on on a lot of foreign policy issues yeah like he called Hugo Chavez a communist dictator. Um, he, there's, I mean, I'm not like, I'm not saying, I, I would never say fuck Bernie Sanders. Like we shouldn't, he's not your ally on any issues. And I would, that, and there's other, so there's other people in Congress too, who support things that I support, like universal healthcare, who have shitty politics on the Middle East, really shitty, like really, really bad and possibly bigoted. That's not, that doesn't mean I'm just going to like say, oh, on universal healthcare, we should completely not support this person. I just don't see this this test being applied to other supposedly progressive Congress people who have no analysis or, or don't even care about foreign policy. Meanwhile, Tulsi Gabbard is the only person in Congress, the only other one's like Rand Paul, and he's got some horrifying beliefs about domestic issues. But I still do support what he says on certain policies abroad. But she's and she's way better than than him. She's the only person who's talking from the place that she's talking against like intervention in Syria. And you know, I get people got to get the fuck over this. Like I don't know why this is such a huge issue. Like one of the reasons I feel like I've been sort of purged from this circle of like politics, which I have. I basically like been like I'm like untouchable. I'm like a bad person now is because of my my stance on Syria. And it's absurd. If you how how the hell are you going to call yourself a progressive leftist movement if you're going to be this terrible on like the dirty wars that America's funding and pushing abroad. It's so ridiculous and very frustrating. Yeah, and absolutely. And I just want to make sure that we all remember that Tulsi was at the uh, first People's Summit, the one that was held uh, just you know, days after uh, what went down in California that was ugly with uh, the, the primary and Bernie Sanders and, and AP calling the race and there were just so many people there who had these raw experiences that they were trying to work through as a vol- and they had been volunteers or organizers for Bernie and Tulsi was there and she was talking about ending and she called them regime change wars she said she just kept repeating this phrase regime regime change wars and was giving these really good statements and that was that was the voice that was there to speak out against intervention and uh, that voice was completely missing from this summit, and I don't think that we're better off for not having her voice there to talk to people um, at, at the second people summit. So it's unfortunate that people couldn't get over and couldn't just have her invite her into the space and dialogue on her past and see where she is currently and challenge her on those views. Why do we have to be children and and exile people? And more importantly, have a fucking analysis of foreign policy and militarism. This issue needs to stop being, like, left on the sideline. Like, I don't think people, and it's really frustrating. I'm friends with a lot of people at these kinds of outlets. Like, I really do like a lot of people in DSA. I know a lot of them. I like them a lot. I like their politics. I I really like, I like Jacobin, although I think on, well, it's actually pissing me off a lot now because it's, like, had this, like, trot takeover. That's another story. But regardless, like, the point is, is this is not okay anymore. Like, it's not okay to just leave these issues aside. It's not. And, and I'm not saying this from, like, a more, even from a moralistic perspective. It's just strategically speaking, it's really fucking stupid. 
because you know you're going to sit there and talk about you know universal access to health care which are so important and you're going to talk about you know issues of like racism in the u.s and lgbtq rights and you're going to talk about all of these issues that are really really important workers rights and but then you know and like a minimum you know a living wage and these are so important but it's really difficult to get everyone like to get as many people as you you should be getting on board with this when there's like people blowing themselves up at concerts full of like preteen girls and that dominates the news and it's all like another muslim did it you know like it's like you have to have a response to that you it can't your response can't just be like okay well hug refugees white people commit terrorism too and let's pretend like there's not like a problem with imperialism and a problem with funding extremists that's coming from our country. Let's just move on to universal health care. Like, no one's going to hear you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. And also, in the last uh, 24 hours, so again, as I, as I s- said this earlier, you know, on, on June 15th, uh, there was an announcement that Donald Trump is going to send 4,000 more troops to Afghanistan. Where, where are we going to have people rising up to say that this is not okay? This is a war that's gone on for more no than one. 15 years. And they'll be, like, they'll be like the one anti-war PSL group that actually ever does protest war. And that's it because no one else seems to yeah. give a shit. Like I don't even see Code Pink protesting wars anymore. I mean – Well, they're focused really on crazy. stopping the arms deals and have been doing – Which is important. That's important. I mean, that's to, a- which I wanted to get to but um, – well, okay. Let's let's. This is a good point to bring that up. But I do want to say before, uh, you know, we're gonna kind of like stare in this arena for most of the rest of the show. Uh, I did want to just mention, you know, along what you're saying, there's an op-ed column from Bernie Sanders in the New York Times this past week, and it uh, lists off. The issues that need to be fought because of Donald Trump's stances. And I mm-hmm. uh, just, you know, to, to clearly make your point, he's talking about Medicare for all. He's talking about making the tax system more progressive so Wall Street pays their fair share. He's talking about investing in infrastructure so that people can maybe get employed and have good paying jobs. Talking about combating climate change. Moving to energy that isn't fossil fuel, talking about defending public education and having free college or university tuition for people and addressing student debt, talking about um, ending mass incarceration uh, or working to diminish mass incarceration and investing in jobs and education, talking about uh, protecting the 11 million undocumented people or more in this country and I am done with the list. There isn't a single thing that contemplates the wars abroad. Oh my God. That's shocking. Like not even like a throwaway line about ending wars. Like seriously. No, that's the list. That's what Mr. We, we hear the bad, he lists the bad stuff that Mr. Trump is doing. And then, uh, nothing about the wars, nothing about, we need nothing even like we need to do more to restrict our military and make sure that we're doing targeted strikes that don't kill so many civilians. Not even anything that. Wow. Like that. That's really like, I just want to shake Bernie Sanders and everyone like who's like behind him without a single word of criticism on this. This is absolutely ridiculous and absurd and unacceptable. I'm sorry. Like I'm not saying throw him under the bus or anything. I really like Bernie Sanders, but this is, I mean, you're never, you're just, you're not going to be able to build a movement um that way you're just not and one of the things that i mean you'll recall like when bernie sanders was running so i mean you know it took you he's not foreign policy is not his big thing he doesn't know a lot about it it took him a while but i mean he eventually was moved on certain issues because the people below him were moving him like what he ended up saying about israel palestine the people below him now are not moving him because they've all just like let let the issue of of like imperialism, of wars, of interventionism, of militarism, of regime change wars, as Tulsi would say, completely like go unaddressed. They don't, they don't care. They don't want to be called an Assadist. They don't want to be called, you know, whatever it is like they call you. They don't want to be called a Russia. I don't even know what they, I've been, whatever. And all the things that I've been called, they don't want to be called those things for like opposing basic shit like war. It's just really pathetic and cowardly. And I, I just a little tolerance for it. 
And uh, so to the to the arms deals, which we really should be doing more to combat. Uh, and because uh, I had some interactions with people from Code Pink at the People Seven, I know some things about the work that that they were doing, and they were meeting with Congress people and moving them, and they actually made progress, and they got closer than they ever anticipated, and they almost blocked, almost uh, passed a bill in the Senate that would have blocked the Saudi arms deal that Donald Trump um, just inked. And the people who stood in the way of making this happen were four Democrats, Rania, and uh, they these people's names um, should be known. Uh, it was Joe Donnelly, who is from Indiana, uh, Joe Manchin, who is an uh, uh, awful person who has killed many, many people because of his support of the coal industry in West Virginia. But uh, he's from West Virginia, Joe Manchin, Claire McCaskill. From Missouri, ah. and then Bill Nelson from Florida. These were the four votes. Um, the 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 deal, uh, this the thing to block it failed forty seven to fifty three. If you just move four votes, then it would have been huge. I would have sent this he- this big message, and they they got Republicans. They've got a, a, a handful of Republicans to come over and support. Rand Paul supported blocking <laughs> the deal, um, and I, I there were a couple others that were moved because they were talking about what um, I think Rand Paul even had a good line where it was like you can't you know now you can't say that you don't know because like he had talked about what the impact is. And like he was like, now nah, you can't unknow this. You you know, and now you, you know, that's on you. Yeah, that's that's amazing. Um, I think that all of those four assholes uh, should get a, like a special award for. I think <laughs> that they all receive money. They all receive a pretty significant amount of money from the, the arms industry, if I'm not mistaken. Um, well, I think and, they should. Uh, uh, they should get primaried, is what they should. And uh, they should not just get primaried. I mean, we should also give them an award for like I don't know, like. Like, God, I, I can't. Well, I mean, I, I suppose Code Pink could show up in their office and give them like blood on your hands awards, but uh, or like I don't know, like for being like the most, um, I don't know, like for for being like the biggest like arms industry whores. I don't know, like it's just like <laughs> well done, well done, guys. Way to serve your people. Like, yeah. Clearly, your people are like Lockheed Martin. Um, <laughs> yes. I also just want to note. Um, that, that there has been some momentum in Congress and a little bit in Senate, uh, thanks to people like Tulsi Gabbard and Rand Paul um, and Chris Murphy, by the way, who's a well, yeah, he, he was big about trying to stop this arms deal. Yeah, they've been, they're trying to make an issue of Yemen. Um, oh yeah, yeah, the famine and everything that's so horrible right now. That literally is like completely man-made, and no one gives a shit. Like it's insane. This country of like millions, tens of millions of people, where half of like them. I mean, there's like, I think like 16 million people or 14 or 16 million. It's a lot, either way, it's a lot of fucking people, okay, are, um, are like on the precipice of famine and have been for like a year now. Uh, children, um, especially, like, it's like really bad. Like, people are just like, the photos you see out of Yemen uh, are horrible. No one cares. Like, and also the, um, there's now, I believe, cholera. There's been a cholera outbreak. And, uh. It's like something insane. Like every hour, like a civilian in, in Yemen is dying from cholera. Um, that's how bad it is. Atrocious. And all of these aid, all of these aid organizations, like like UNICEF and and um, and like human rights groups, like it's like they talk about it like it's just like some natural disaster or something. Like there was a flood or like a drought, and there's just no food. And it's like you guys are not like the Guardian. It's like you read an article in the Guardian, and it's like there it doesn't even mention why there's a cholera outbreak, why you can't, why you're not even able to treat it because there's a blockade being enforced by Saudi Arabia, the U.S. and their allies in the region. Everybody freaked the fuck out. They like lost their shit because like there was like a day long um, like air and sea blockade around Qatar until like, you know, like Turkey and Iran were like, we'll give you food. Meanwhile, no one gives a shit about Yemen. We're like all these. Why is it okay? Like, why is it okay? We're honestly like it's really shocking it makes me think of Iraq in, like, the 90s. Remember how bad the sanctions in Iraq were where it killed, like, 
500,000 children under the age of five mm-hmm. uh, due to like lack of medicine and like food. Um, when we look back on that, we're just like absolutely horrified and stunned anybody allowed that to happen. Uh, and there wasn't really much movement against it at the time. And it's like looking at now, it's like, God, we're no better. Like, look what's happening in Yemen and no one gives a shit. Like at all, at all. It's insane. Like there's no anti-war marches. There's no like, not even marches. There's like, except for like a couple small tiny groups like Code Pink has made an issue of Yemen. Um, and so is like a couple other groups like they definitely have, but few, very few. Um, and it's really, really disturbing that that is allowed to happen. Meanwhile, you look at Syria and look at all of this, all the like PR campaigns around Syria. And sometimes they even make shit up. And there's like massive campaigns, um, you know, against like the Syrian government for like this thing or that thing. Meanwhile, like you've got literally millions of children starving to death. Well, we could make the point that people rail against Donald Trump on the left. And yeah, I actually think the hyperbole gets worse as you move towards the center. As you get to Mm. the left of center people, they're the ones that are just crying wolf while there isn't any sign of anything going on yet, you know, suggesting that comments represent moves towards genocide when that's just cheapening the seriousness of everything. But that's kind of a side issue. What do you mean genocide? What do you mean comments and genocide? Uh, So Eric Trump came out and said Democrats aren't people. (laughs) What? Yeah, and this person, I think his name is Mikkel, he tweeted a quote from Hitler, and he tweeted a quote from uh, someone uh, who had made a comment about like the Hutus or the Tutsis not being people during or, or something dehumanizing that was said oh my God. in the Rwanda oh genocide. And then the third thing was... I'm like, Eric, I'm already offended. I'm yeah, already offended. I know. And uh, I just, you know, I, I, I had to stop this person and say, uh, well, first off, Democrats aren't, that's not an ethnicity. Uh, so like, you can't have like genocide <laughs> against Democrats. Are you, de- you're denying, you're denying the peoplehood of Democrats. It's crazy. <laughs> They're not an ethnicity. <laughs> What? I mean, you can't like discriminate against Democrats, so <laughs> like, <laughs> what the? Um, and or so, uh, it's just so bad. And then it's just like th- that's not a genocidal comment. It's just not like it's it's he's being an asshole. I'll give you that. Eric Trump's a big, massive asshole, but like he's not. That's not like indicating that people are going to be mass murdered. Oh my god! What a ridiculous like what a ridiculous jump to make. Although, I mean, yeah, it's not good. It's like, I mean, they're, I mean, but it's also like we're not there as a country. The U.S. is not in that place where, like, we're like, it's not like the, they're coming after the communists or something, like the way, you know, it's, we're not there. The Democrats are like an establishment party. It's, no one's going to start imprisoning them and, like, putting them into camps. So, uh, <laughs> just quickly, um, some things that I want to raise from the People's Summit. Uh, mm-hmm. that are just a combination. Uh, this is a range from, like, positive or negative. Um, and maybe get your reaction to some of the things that I took away from it. I mean, first, I want to say that I was a little um, impressed by the speech that Van Jones gave to the summit. I thought it, he gave a lot of really good words that people needed to consider. I don't know uh, if if you got a chance to to read any of the things that he said from the summit, but I did not. But let me just share these with you. First off, um, saying that he wholly rejected and found it to be the most ridiculous thing that there is this false choice put out that we have to choose between white working class or people of color. That that that's actually even a conversation that ever happened that anyone ever suggested that the Bernie Sanders people were setting this up as, like, something where, like, we couldn't take care of and help both demographics. Well, good for him for saying and, that. I mean, no offense, no offense, it's not exactly revelatory. Is, it, is that supposed to be, like, a revelation, or has that not been said before? 
Well, but then the way that then the follow up was really good because he was addressing. I mean, it wasn't particularly for the people in the room. It was really for anyone who was going to see him speak, who was from the Clint, who are still very uh, attached to the Clinton campaign, and uh, was just and does not admit. Uh, responsibility for what went wrong with their campaign because he said, "Look, it's on you." You know, let me. He said, "Let me tell you, Hillary Clinton did not spend any money on the white working class or people of color. She took a billion dollars and basically lit it on fire. She spent. They spent it all on themselves and yeah. uh, never invested it in any of these, these you know, these different groups that they invoke to try to smear Bernie." Um, yeah. And so, so like, I felt like that was an important statement. But a more important statement to me was when he said that he thought progressives had drawn the circle too small during the election uh, because so many of us just wrote, wrote off these red towns. We, we just let these people be taken in by Donald Trump. And again, I think... That's probably more directed towards Clinton wing right. of, of the Democratic Party because Sanders people were competing for everyone trying to get, you know, trying to convince even people who like Donald Trump that like, oh, I think you really want Bernie Sanders. But uh, just he's sharing his experiences and he said something really provocative just saying that he thinks far too often we've used white men as a rhetorical punching bag. Um and the, I'd agree with that. And he said uh, that, uh, you know, I'm I'm not getting a higher life expectancy as a black man. Uh, but, you know, whose life expectancy has been going down in the United States? White men because of the opi- opioid crisis and because of other things that ha- are going on in this country. Um, and he says we're not doing anything to speak to them. So is it any wonder that they're being moved to support Trump. Again, like maybe this isn't particularly revelatory to our show. We've talked about these things, but I just kind of am reporting them and sharing them with our listeners to say that I'm glad that a mass audience was digging into this um, because he, he then added later that, um, you know, he didn't really care if people were vote, were voting against him, you know, were voting uh, in ways that were really going to inflict damage upon his well-being as a black man in America, he he you know he doesn't want people to do that, but he doesn't think that people should die. He was saying like you could vote against me, vote against me, but like I don't want you to die. And I thought that was really um, important to say because we've had people who have expressed sentiments in the last year that if you live in a red state, then you deserve everything that you get from Donald Trump, that uh, it's your fault. Uh, and, and the example that I like to cite is what happened in North Carolina with the floods, and they were denied federal funding. And when that happened, there were people saying, well, what do you expect? You live in a red state. You shouldn't have voted for Donald Trump. Rather than doing what we should do, which is struggle with the federal government and try to get people their funding for cleaning up after a disaster. Uh, because, you know, it's just not, that entire state, 100% of that state did not vote Donald Trump. Some of them voted Hillary Clinton, right? You have to believe that some of them in the floods um, are being, are, are suffering this punishment. And so, like, you're basically saying that. You're not going to do anything. You're just going to write off all of these people. I totally agree with you. Um, I wish I could have been there to see for myself. Yeah, so uh, that was important. I like the line that Nina Turner delivered where uh, she was talking about how she wasn't really going to address Democrats, but, you know, she got rolling and now, like, she was really going to let Democrats have it. And uh, she said the Democrats are the party that are supposed to stand up for the people. Did you have folks... Um, uh, that you, that you've got to press to basically pass a Medicare for all bill in the state of California, and, and by the way, she reminded people that Democrats are in control of California. Uh, the Russians are not in control of California. <laughs> the I don't know about that. The Republicans are not in con- are, are not in control. It's the Democrats who who are hesitating to give people a state single payer system. Um, And she also said, I'm talking to the party that talks about diversity, but only 
comes and sees the African-American community every four years, that's the party I'm talking to. Wow. That's uh, well said. Well uh, said. We need some more of that. And the other thing I wanted to add, and I think this is, might be something that uh, you'll want to go off on a little bit, but um, I, I attended two panels. Uh, eventually, I might write a piece on this just because I think there's a sort of evolution of this movement. Uh, it's, a, it's I guess it's a, you call it a maturation of this organizing that's been going on where we're taking resistance and moving protest into electoral politics, but they're not electoral politics in the way that you might think they're, they're electoral politics that are joined with movements that they're, they're really involving movement leaders who are stepping into local positions largely and uh, or, or and deciding to tr- try to win power and that way these movements aren't entirely powerless to advance an agenda and I, I, I guess the thing that I want to say is it was very it was something that I thought about the entire weekend which for the most of my political evolution over the last two to three years i've completely been opposed to this idea that like you can change the democratic party i've been i don't want to like transform the democratic party but yet while i was there i was listening to people who are like democratic socialists or communists or all these people who are upset who are railing against neoliberal democrats who hate that the party is controlled by neoliberal democrats are just irate and can't stand the people who are in charge and want to take it over. They were talking about how they wanted to infiltrate the Democratic Party um, at from even like the lowest levels of like precinct committees uh, or even just the like basic little Democratic Party clubs that might be in your your city or township. Uh, like the little boards that people usually think are insignificant to try to start to eke away power that these neoliberal Democrats have, that these moderates or centrists uh, who basically try to contain the possible change, try to undermine that uh, and, and start to make some advancements of our own. And the, the, the energy, like... Uh, when I was at the speech with Bernie Sanders, he asked how many people are running for election. It's like a third of the room, Rania, stood up, and there were 4,000 people in that auditorium. I mean, we're talking about probably like hundreds of people throughout the United States that are planning some kinds of, of, of action to uh, – I don't know. I think that this is just something that – we're going to need to have more discussion about because I'm not willing to foreclose it anymore. I think that, like, with the situation that we're in, I'll, I'll, I'll finish and then let you respond. With the situation we're in where we have Trumpism and then we have neoliberalism and we've got this urgency to stop Trumpism, I think that one of the most immediate steps that you can take is to remove a very disorganized and in disarray group or faction that is running the Democratic Party, really undercut them, really frighten them, and in ways that we've already been doing. We've been moving them. We've been moving people to endorse and sign on to uh, single-payer health care legislation in in Congress. We've been moving them to sign on to uh, $15 minimum wage legislation and, and you know you're seeing like that challenge against the Saudi arms deal and you're seeing things happen that you wouldn't if not for a lot of this activist energy that's ongoing but it's also coupled with this threat that these people from this movement are actually going to run against you and take away your power if you don't do what you should be doing for the people. I mean, it sounds really inspiring um, and exciting. At the same time, I'm just I, I'm skeptical until I see results. <laughs> that's just I guess it's become my position. Just because, um, and it doesn't mean I'm, I mean maybe I'm a little bit more cynical. It doesn't mean I think it's going to fail completely or I think it's completely not worth it. Because I don't I wouldn't have any other recommendations for people because I don't know how 
I don't know really what else. There's other things you could be doing, sure. But, I mean, it's worth a try. I just don't have that much. Um, I just, like, I, I don't know. I'm just, uh, I guess... I guess I, I'm still sad. I got so excited about Bernie Sanders and stuff and like none of that worked out. And then now, now we are where we're at. And it just like, whenever I turn on the news, I get like, I just, all I see is crap. But I think <laughs> that's why, like, I, 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 I guess I expected that view and you're not alone. Like that's the view that several people, uh, you know, shared with me when I was tweeting statements that were coming from, a couple of the panels uh, that I was uh, covering, and I, I just think that it's it's not one or the other. We, I think we have to understand that when they're talking, we're talking about doing it in tandem. And, and someone said uh, there was a guy named Thomas Walker who was part of the Freedom Road Socialist Organization, and he was talking about uh, his workplace and organizing within his workplace and trying to build power and saying. And he's in Memphis, Tennessee, and he was talking about how here uh, we used to like think electoral politics was a thing we could do, but it was not like something that was high priority. But the more that we tried to organize and make some kind of an impact, the more we found that we were powerless because we kept wanting to go to these positions in the city and try to make some kind of gains that would benefit our people. And we had no allies. We had nobody we could turn to for support. And so now it's changed. It's been become like one of the most important things we can do is to have a, a component of our organizing that involves uh, electoral politics so that we can make these changes that are beneficial to us. And I just think that... Uh, there's a tendency for people to, you know, have that view, which I, is completely understandable, of wanting to give up. But I think that that disengagement um, is something that has uh, helped create the moment that we're in, where we don't try to get our people into positions of authority because we fear what happens to those people when they're elected. Because we feel like once they get elected, they'll be compromised and inevitably we're not going to be able to make the sort of uh, gains that we could if we stayed on the outside and just pressured people. But if we just pressure people who don't believe us or share our ideology, then they're never going to do what we want. No, yeah, no, I'm totally with you on that. I'm just saying, like, um, like I'll believe it when I see it, I guess. And I think that's fair. Yeah. I think that's fair. As long as, like, you're not shutting down people who are having success. You know, like, so, uh, j- just quickly, and then I, w- we should talk about the shooting before we wrap up our show. Um, which, and then, I, and I just said shooting, and now I'm going to talk about something else, and this is probably, like, the worst segue in recent history of our podcast but anyways um (laughs) but there's a alderman here carlos ramirez rosa who is doing really great work um agitating against um you know the shitball rom emmanuel here who uh has been sitting on a sanctuary city bill for the last uh let's say you know six or seven months uh, definitely since donald trump was elected uh, in order to make Chicago uh, a, a better sanctuary city to protect undocumented immigrants, and it's it's not moving. People want him to amend the le- the, the ordinance, and, and instead he decides to like launch a propaganda campaign called One Chicago and get immigrants to come on and do YouTube videos, make it sound like they're all um, supportive of him, and and just sort of like shower him with adulation and uh, flatter him at like all the good stuff that he's doing to welcome immigrants in Chicago. But meanwhile, he's not actually protecting immigrants from ICE um, and, and protecting them from CPD and ICE working together to have them deported. And so Carlos Ramirez Rosa is this guy who was elected alderman. He's he's 29 years old. Um, he's He was elected, I think he was like 25 or 26. And uh, he's comes from the immigrant community and he was talking at the summit um about how uh you know he he's organizing marches while he's in the city council and then also 
you know, when they have the rallies or they have the demonstrations, then, like, he turns around and he comes in and supports them as somebody who's actually in the halls of power and can help them uh, actually get to people in positions of power by using his influence to to uh, make some kinds of movements and, and push for progress. So uh, I don't know what's going to happen. All I know is that I think that we're in a very dark political moment and we should probably – uh, be constantly reassessing what does and doesn't work because things that didn't work earlier might have different results now. I don't know. That's a good. We've yeah, got well we've, said, no. we've got well, better numbers. We've got people who are more engaged than ever. I mean, I definitely feel like. Um, I'll just also make this quick point. I definitely feel like these Democrats are much more radical than the progressive Democrats we used to talk about 10 or 15 years ago. Um, and, and, you know, now, like, we've got people like John Ossoff in Georgia that's running in the special election. He won't back single payer. Um, he's very reluctant to do things that uh, make him any less than a moderate uh, Democrat. And that might have been good back in, like, 2006. That probably would have gotten you elected when people were upset about the Iraq War. But, like, now we want a Rob Quist. We want somebody who's talking in Montana about moving to single payer. Or we want somebody who is um, not uh, just trying to go with the flow and get away with not being a Republican. And that's what gets you elected. We want people who are standing on values and principles and open to pushing for new ideas. Yeah, no, and I'll agree with you on that. No, no, I have no, nothing to push back against. I'm with you on all that. So, so yeah. we definitely should, uh, before we wrap, uh, address uh, what happened with the shooting. Uh, I've been talking a lot. You want to just say some words first before I, I add anything? Well, honestly, I didn't really, it was harder to follow from here. Um, I am in a different country. All I saw is that a guy who was a Bernie Sanders staffer at some point. Nope, that's uh, not true. So let, or volunteer or something. Yeah. Okay. So uh, here, how about I lay? I'll lay it down and then you can react. So um, this guy um, who uh, his last name was Hodgkinson. Um, he was uh, from Belleville, Illinois. He was in Alexandria for the last months. Uh, he approached uh the baseball practice that was happening because there's this congress congressional baseball game that happened so there were all these republican congressmen it's suspected or been said that he was actually trying to figure out who the people were were that were on the baseball field like he asked are these republicans or democrats someone answered um and he got what he wanted and he returned later and opened fire uh, Steve Scalise is the one that got wounded the worst uh, as a representative. There were uh, Capitol Police that were on hand because he is the House Majority Whip. And then there are other Republicans who were um, caught there and witnessed what unfolded. And there were other people like the police that were wounded. And um, I think there were maybe like one or two staffers that did get injured as well. And so this all happened, and then it was reported in the media fairly quickly that he had been a volunteer for the Bernie Sanders campaign and that uh, his Facebook page had a Bernie Sanders photo. And then we got that um, not only did his page have a Bernie Sanders photo, but like he also had been a Bernie or bust kind of guy, was unwilling to support Hil Hillary and then at some point was telling people to go vote for Jill Stein. Um, and, I, and none of this is... Oh, God. And, I already see where all of this is going. And none of this is really important except to say that um, you know, what happened and, and, and we should, I, I think, t take go a, little, a few extra minutes longer than, than we normally would want to on our show to just 
really lambast and go after the New York Times for what they obscenely suggested, and which I anticipated, Rodney. I thought that like this is where we were going to go, but I actually thought that like more than anything, we needed to defend these movements so that um, there, like this pressure to disavow, which by the way is the same pressure that comes on Muslim Americans, right? When you have uh, terrorist incidents, right? So, like, now Bernie Sanders, within an hour and a half, was having to make, like, one and two statements disavowing everything that happened. Like, um, and also, yeah, like, it was like people within the movement had some obligation to condemn, uh, even though there's nothing that they ever did that would be any remote, like, like there's no precursor to this happening at all. This, like, everything that has been going on did not lead up to what this person did when they opened fire on these Republicans. But let me read. Yeah, no, it's okay. Go ahead. Well, sorry, go ahead. You, say no, 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 anything no, no. Go ahead. Keep that. going. So the New York times wrote this around. Yeah. Um, and this was a, this was Yamiki Alcindor who, uh, I could also go after for the crap that she wrote about the people's summit. Uh, she was like a co writer about that but we'll we'll save it for another show um, she just, just to be clear she's the woman who um back during the primary between clinton and sanders asked sanders if it was um if he was uh if it was misogynist of him not to step down right for the first woman president anyways right so the new york so the new york times uh suggested that sanders supporters have a quote belligerent reputation for their criticism of hillary clinton the democratic party and others who they believed disagreed with their ideas and, quote, Sanders <laughs> fans, yeah, that, that's a key word there, quote, Sanders fans sometimes referred to derogatorily as Bernie bros or Bernie bots, at times harassed reporters covering Mr. Sanders and flooded social media with angry posts directed at the corporate media, a term often used by the senator. Uh, and then also they, uh, she wrote the suspect in the I'm shooting. I'm sorry. It's cool. I'm sorry. Wait, what do you mean a term used by this? Like as if he's like inciting hatred for the media that's corporate. This is okay. like, I wonder if they've written some kind of like, like, you know how the NYPD has like their pathway for like radicalization for Muslims. I wonder if like the New York times has their own like report for like the radicalization for of the radicalization of the Sanders and Bernie Sanders <laughs> and Bernie Bros. Yeah, yeah. The suspect in the and they also she uh, she also wrote the suspect in the shooting in Virginia put a new spotlight on the rage buried in some corners of the progressive left. Oh my God! It's just it's trash, and I and it I it's trash. Wow. I hope that I didn't have to see something like that written, but I anticipated it because. I, I won't. I won't read the piece, but like I'll just tell people if you want my rebuttal to all of this. I wrote a piece that was published as Bernie Sanders and growing left wing social movements are not responsible for GOP baseball shooting. And yeah, I, and I really that's thought fair. I really thought that was beyond obvious and did not need to be said. But apparently, the New York Times has proven that you know <laughs> I did not waste my time in putting together this piece. So. Wow. Wow. I mean, like, there's violent people who exist in all quarters, although there's some quarters of, of politics where there's more more tendencies towards violence um, than others. That said, like, yeah, I mean, this guy, I, I don't know. I, I can't sit here and say for sure I know exactly what motivated him. But as somebody who comes from the sort of uh, Bernie side of things, um, I can say that there's no, I've never heard any incitement from anybody toward it. He's always the exact opposite. Um, if anything, it's like, calm down. <laughs> it's always the, the, the way, you know, um, you know, calm down, like, and like, you know, nonviolence is like emphasized more than anything else on the progressive left <laughs> You're right. other uh, area of politics. So, I mean, we're doing like civil disobedience in front of the White House. If like that's about as radical as it gets, right? Yeah, like getting arrested <laughs> on purpose. Like. Um, and, but but let's just be clear: what the New York Times is doing, and anybody else who's a Democrat who makes this argument, is you're legitimizing a right-wing reactionary view because there are definitely were people who were saying this guy was radicalized by Bernie Sanders. I was seeing that coming from people who are Trumpers. Um, that's, yeah, that's totally. How, that's how Breitbart treated it, I imagine. That's how, you know, 
probably how Alex Jones viewed it as well. Um, and so you're, you're legitimizing that. You're making it a bipartisan thing to – and I think it's opportunistic too. I, I can see how um, – with the way things are going for neoliberal Democrats, this would be a great opportunity to try and undercut gains that are being made by movements aligned with Bernie Sanders. Um, also, uh, for the and then for the Trump people, it's like uh, the Trump supporters. It's like every week there's some like hate crime committed by a Trump supporter. Um, well, we've all just been like- so mean to Donald Trump, and it's just so un- unconscionable. Well, yes, words hurt him deeply. Um, but but yeah, no, I mean, I, I would, I could, I could understand why they'd be trying to like uh, emphasize this whole Bernie Sanders angle just to take some heat off of the fact that like Trump really is inciting crazy shit. Um, on that note, we are out of time. Yeah, I believe. Yeah, we need um, to go. Uh, but if you have listened to the end, because why wouldn't you? Um, I do encourage you to become a patron because it's the only way we can make the show better and make it grow. And it's a fun show to do. And I think that we definitely have a very unique angle and perspective that we come at things from that you don't hear on other shows. So definitely if you appreciate that, support it. It it helps us produce the show, line up guests, have people like Abby Martin, Michael Preisner to have uh, different uh, guests each week that are definitely engaging that we know uh, lots of other shows just won't, let them even come on. Like they're not people that they're yeah, ever it's so going weird. to invite. It's almost like they want to like keep, it's almost like they want to gatekeep. Yeah. I think is the word they use, <laughs> but no, I mean, so yeah, it's a, uh, it's, and I'm talking like, I just, you know, I'm so disappointed in like a lot of the progressive media these days that, Oh, great. Um, oh, progressive media. I have a good way we can go out. Can we go out like this? Is this okay? How, yeah. Sure. It, well, okay. why? Yeah. Why not? So, Joy Reed. Uh, we should, uh, she says like share a collective laugh here. So on, on, on June 12th, she tweeted, uh, Bernie and his followers are like that college friend who stays at your place for weeks, pays zero dollars, eats your food and trashes your aesthetic. <laughs> and Katie Halper had a great response. Is that yeah, what you're going to read? Well, I'd love to read Katie's. The one I have right now is the one that Luke Savage sent, which was also pretty good. Uh, I didn't see that one. Bernie is that college friend who organizes against tuition debt and fights for the dining hall workers and cleaners to make $15 an hour. Oh, that's good. That's it's true. Not, it's not funny. So Katie Halper responds to Joy saying, Hillary is that friend who lives in a mansion, uses prison labor, and, quote, enforces rules strictly and sends back to prison inmates who break a rule, end quote. <laughs> <laughs> and that was, that was retweeted, like, over 2010 because it was really funny. <laughs> All right, everyone. Well, yeah. we'll be back soon with another episode of the Unauthorized Disclosure Podcast.